Have you ever experienced something so crippling in your life that has made you feel broken? I have. Are you someone who has a giving heart but is struggling to feel good themselves? Are you consistently putting your needs aside to take care of everyone else? If so, you're not alone. Giving starts with giving to yourself so that you are able to give of yourself to other people. Isn't it time you took back control and discovered what makes you tick? Join me in my journey and find out how you can feel better about yourself, live your best life, and share that with others. Thinking of yourself, it doesn't make you selfish. It makes you brave. I'm Nelia, and this is the Giving Starts With You podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Giving Starts With You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Nelia Hutt. I am so humbled that um, everybody's, you know, been listening to the show and giving me your input. That's fantastic. Today, I have a very special friend, a return guest, who I am so happy is here. Uh, welcome, Peter Birkin, to the show. How are you, Peter? Great, Nelia. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. The pleasure's all mine. Um, if, if the audience hasn't uh, heard Peter's previous episodes, he is a returning guest. And uh, check out episode 42 and 43. Episode 42 is about schizophrenia, bullying, limited beliefs. And he also speaks about healing our schools. Very, very important um, series that we did. So please go back, check out Peter. And I'm so happy that he's here to join us again. Hey. Yay. <laughs> Thank you, Nelia. Yeah, no problem. Do you want to tell the audience a little bit about who you are? Sure. I was actually born a week before Christmas. And I had an older brother and older sisters like, we have baby Jesus. Baby Jesus was born. And I'm like, you know, anyone that knows about programming, I literally grew up thinking, something like, hey, what's going on here? Am I a special baby or something? And then I went to Catholic grammar school and I learned that we're all co-creators and we're in the uniqueness and likeness of God. And I'm like, wow, what's, what's going on here? So here I am as an adult looking back, what went on in my life to cause me to get diagnosed and late adolescence, early adulthood and be diagnosed with schizophrenia? So I'm really starting to put it all together, my past, and it's really unfolding the mysteries in my life to help me be a bullyproof expert. It's so needed. You know, I, I love the work that you're doing. It's so important. Um, I know that you believe that it will help heal the world. And I totally, 100% agree with you. Um, it's something that is so important and I can tell it's so important to you and to your heart. Incredible. Good job. Thank you. Thank you, Nellie. <laughs> I'm proud of you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. So Peter, I understand that you have um, a few tips and, and things you'd like to speak to us about today. Sure. So maybe we could dive right in and, and get started. Um, one of the things that you had mentioned you wanted to speak to, uh, to us about, and I'm passionate about this as well, is finding your purpose and passions um, with clarity. So important. Very good. 
As you know from the last episode, I'm a passion test facilitator. I was trained by Janet Bray Atwood and Chris Atwood. They wrote the book, The Passion Test, and they trained me to be a passion test facilitator. And in that three hour workshop, which is very lovely, we teach people to boil down their passions. Well, first of all, many people don't even know what they're passionate about. They might think one or two things. They always think, oh, is it my job I'm passionate about? But what we do is we use the wheel of life and then they develop in the, in the workshop what they're truly passionate about. So we make them get a list of at least 10 things they're passionate about. And it starts like, when my life is ideal, I am. And then they use words like having, enjoying, and living, and words that bring out the life in it. And then they use five to seven succinct words to tie it all up in a, in a bow, if you will. So for me, for instance, when my life is ideal, I'm being an awesome parent in person. And my fifth one I really like is, because we boil it down to five, is when my life is ideal, I'm living happily, harmoniously, and fearlessly. So, and then I have three in between those. I love that so much. And um, Peter, I remember you did the passion test with me out of the generosity of your heart. And I was very... Um, it was great. Like it was a, such a great experience. And so thank you so much for doing that. Sure. You know, you are, I just, I have to say, I, I kind of was so excited to have you on. I didn't even introduce you properly. I'm so sorry, <laughs> but I was so excited. I'm like, this is my friend. And then we forget. Right. Yeah. But I want people to know um, that your intent is to help eradicate bullying. That is the first and most important thing. Correct. Correct. Self-bullying and bullying. Yes. Oh, self-bullying. Interesting. You also want to enhance self-confidence, self-esteem, um, help manage anger. You want to increase financial literacy, all these things. And I, the reason why I really wanted to have you back is there are so many things happening in the world. There's so many more problems than there are solutions. And I really think that you have a lot of wonderful solutions. I, I really believe in what you're doing and, and your message. And I know that you've written a book, 234 Solutions to the Problems. Becoming more peaceful and passionate. Passionate. Yeah. You know, I'm all about that. I love, you know, for a long time, I didn't live, live my life with my passion. That's why I love the passion test. And I was always hiding behind all these things. And, and you get to a point in your life where you know there's something missing. And I'm really passionate now about helping other people as well, finding out what makes them want to be alive, what makes them want to get up in the morning. So, um, yeah, so I love that you do that. I won't interrupt you. I just, I just had to say that because no, you're so I think good. you're phenomenal. Like, honestly, I think it's, oh, there's so many things that, that are going to be changed. You know, it's funny because when I got trained to be on TV not too long ago, one of the things they trained me in saying is from our mess becomes our message. And I'm, I've been in the district now for 30 years in education. And every bit of my experience is part of my unfolding my mysteries. I'm actually from my experience from K through 12 to alternative education to jails, orphanages, all these different schools that I was at, I was probably at about 17 different schools in the city. 
including correctional facilities and alternative education. And then home hospital, I used to teach kids in the home. I used to go to the hospital. One of my students had their first child at 11 years old. Wow. When she worked at the restaurant down the street, she had four children at the age of 16. So, wow. and she's like, Mr. Birkin, she remembered me. She's like, thank you for coming to the hospital to see my first baby. I have four now. Honestly, like you're making me have goosebumps because I remember in our, in our, that's why I want everybody to go and hear the episode before this one. Um, I remember you speaking, you giving us some stories in, in your uh, earlier show about the students coming to you and, and some of the things that you would say to them. And it just, it opens up my heart and it gives me this possibility, you know, of change. So I, anything we can do, you know, to help you rise up, like, honestly. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. I mean, you're the one who's doing the work, right? So yeah, the passion test. So you've been, this is something that you, um, that people can, can contact you and you can help them work through it. And absolutely. It's a three hour workshop. And you know, I also do the mastery of self-love. What I like to do is have like eight hour days. Mm. It would be three hours of the passion test, which is highly interactive, by the way, you work work your list by yourself, and then you partner up and take each other through the passion test. And then what you do is you get in groups to set up markers, which is evidence and signposts that your passions are showing up in your life. And then we go into the nature's guidance system followed by the seven principles of passionate life. And then we kind of give you the secret of living a passionate life while we're doing it too. <laughs> That's just how perfect, perfect. And then the master of self-love is four hours too. So okay. in the seven hours of class, hour lunch, two breaks, we can have it all set literally awesome. one day. Yeah. One of the other tips that you wanted to talk about was co-creation and we are all deliberate creators. What does that mean? Yes. I could literally go into the Bible and John and, and quote, I don't quote Bible two verses too much, but it's basically we're in a uniqueness and likeness of God. And God created earth in six days based on Christianity and whatever you believe in Allah, God, whatever you're, you know, there's all these persuasions that are out there that work well for the people that embrace it. But then it's not the worldview. So what happens is people get offended by okay, you believe in Confucianism, they believe in Judaism, I believe in Christianity, when we're all one human race, and we're yeah. all built to be <laughs> co-creators. Yeah. So when you look at it from quantum physics and everything else that epigenetics and all these cool sciences, science and spirituality is actually coming in the forefront right now. It's almost like right here and, and right here and now. And like we talked about in the last shows that when you're in the ever-present precious moment, the now, this is only where miracles can happen. This is where heaven is, if you want to call it heaven, nirvana maybe. Uh, but this is where we have it, right here and now. It could be, you know, just being here talking to you right now, Nelia. It could be going out and walking in nature and, and taking in the beauty of, of mother nature. I call it mother nature. Some people yes. get offended <laughs> at some, I say mother. But for I grew up brainwashed to think it's mother nature so if i shame on me if i'm saying it wrong <laughs> he she it let's let's do it like that peter wouldn't it be such a different world if we could all just believe in one race humanity yes you know there's just one 
we we all bleed the same we all want the same you know honestly there's so much so much hatred and i love that you're you're um teaching schools and teaching children to to embrace each other and to you know just stop the nonsense it, it really breaks my heart right. um and you want to improve schools by bringing peace um to help bring peace on earth so yes. you you think that um starting with the schools and when children are younger and before they become adults that's when we need to encourage and, and teach them right and i'd go even more specific with that and say city schools okay Our urban education yes okay especially yeah. mm. incredible yeah so i know this is such a big topic but how do we start like how do we start stopping bullying how do we you know what, what's what's something we could teach our children well we all learned that it starts at home and our parents did the best they could with what they learned from their parents and it gets passed on from generation to generation the parenting skills so if they're really great keep doing it if they weren't so great or they did things that weren't so great at times when you become a parent, make sure you don't do those things anymore. Hmm. For instance, when my dad hurt me when I was a child, as a father now, I chose not to do those things when I worked with my son to raise him. Uh, my mother, she was, now mind you, my mom and dad were, they were saints. I mean, they had nine kids. They were stressed <laughs> out at times, right? Of course, yes. So. So the, the key is take all their best practices like a teacher or someone in business would to treat it like a business, if you will. Mm. Take all the best practices and do them with your children. And then anything like, like the hitting and, and the name calling and the, and the seeds of limiting beliefs would be planted. Don't say unkind things to the lovely ones because you want to always plant healthy, vibrant seeds so you can get a healthy garden mm -hmm. and a healthy brain. Because what happens is anything that's negative gets downloaded in their brain from zero to seven. And it's those limiting beliefs that are going to cause them to try to figure out how do I manifest wealth? How do I manifest relationships? How can I co-create and get good health? You're only going to do that when you don't have these negative seeds all in your head. Yeah, you can't, if you grow up not loving yourself and believing everything everybody tells you, um, there's no hope and without hope there isn't any movement and without you know it starts like it honestly like it just manifests into this this thing that you don't even know where to start you know and and as parents even though you know for those of us who have had those relationships with our parents and, and we say to ourselves um, I want to do different you know we're not perfect and we may find ourselves repeating some of the same things but Try not to be so hard on yourself and learn for the next time. There's always a chance to break that, even if, you know, it, it takes you a little bit of time. As long as you're aware, you're one step further than what your parents were, maybe, you know, keep striving to be that person. It doesn't always happen overnight because, you know, when we grow up in a home like that and we see things, yes, we draw the line and we say, you know, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do this. And then if something does happen, you know, of course, you're going to beat yourself up for it. But you, you have another chance, you don't have to remain that way. Right. 
Yeah. Always strive for better, right? Always strive for better. Always go into it with enough awareness that everything you say and do to your child, even what you think, everything carries energy to it, a thought, a word, an action. And the thing is, because there's energy behind all that, your child picks up on it. You know, I think it's the last trimester that a child can actually know when mom's talking to the yes. baby and the dad. You know, I remember my son, I started crying when he was first born because I knew he was a boy and he just turned his head and noticed me right off the bat. You could tell he just kind of turned and I just started crying and it was amazing. The, the miracle of birth was just, as you know now, it is just yes. amazing for the father and especially the mother who for nine months nursed that little fetus into a, a, a miracle, just a complete miracle. Yeah. I think it was Dr. We have, remember, yeah. we have to remember that when they start to drive us crazy, how that moment felt back then, because we got to keep things in check, right? That's so, true. So you find that all this happens, like for bullying, for example. But what are some of the things that bullies you think that create bullies, like that bullies are missing in their lives that makes them become a bully? Usually it's the childhood trauma. They were hit or sworn at or felt like you're not enough you're not good enough you'll never turn out to be anything and that just takes its toll on anybody's brain mm. and for instance for my story was i was taught to how to box how to wrestle how to fight hand to hand with people so i i was built to really be a bully mm. but because i had my values and beliefs in religion and treating my neighbors with respect and the golden rule and all that stuff. I almost had things in conflict right off the bat. Mm. Here I'm taught to be basically, well, I can hurt people, but it was my values and beliefs that made it where I was staying nice to people. But the moment I was bullied at the playground, I remember it was Tim. Tim, what are you doing? He, God rest his soul already, he died on me. So what happened was when he did that to me and he had me on the ground and started kicking me, I was hurt because I could have fought back, but I didn't know because I never had anyone do that to me, Nellie, and it was at the playground. And then that followed me after I left private school. I went into public school and transferred into public school. So I was a big, a big fish now in, a, in an ocean. Mm. And, and the thing is, I got bullied when I got into that new school. I got bullied pretty good verbally. Um, so, so the thing is, I had to literally get tactics. And I used to think on my feet all the time as a, being bullied, as a bully, because hurt people hurt people. So I started being a real bully, especially in high school when I played three sports, even before high school, because I was playing still basketball. You want to hurt them before they hurt you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then from there, um, you know, I, when I got put into the public school and transferred in. I went out for the lacrosse team. And because I couldn't catch the ball, see, I grew up with the Native American lacrosse stick, which is wider mm. and bigger. So I could catch the ball right and left proficiently. But then when I transferred in, they had this little plastic stick. And I, mm. I don't even know how the ball could be caught there. I, I was athletic, but I was like, like, I couldn't figure it out quick enough. Mm -hmm. And I was only cut from the lacrosse team. So I'm like, wow, 
I just got cut from a team. I mean, I'm one of the best athletes out there. It was funny because they were all trying to hit me to the ground, Nelia. I'm like, you're not going to get me to the ground. Hmm. And they cut me because I can't catch a ball. So I started hanging around with the wrong peer group, guys that were smoking cigarettes and their nose and drinking and smoking. And I'm like, I'm not going to do this. So right at an early age, it's like, now I got to figure out who am I, who are going to be my peers. My self-esteem's low. I'm feeling kind of bummed out that I didn't make the lacrosse team. I really don't have too many friends. So the soccer season came along in the winter. Luckily, I was back in baseball. So that helped. So I could be around some people during baseball. The fall came along. I didn't even go out for the soccer team because I was so hurt from getting cut from the lacrosse team. Mm. Come winter, there was 50 basketball players that went out for the basketball team. Not only did I make the team, but I started every game. And then I started everything I did. All, three sports in high school, the college, the cross, where I became an all-star in college. So you can see that it all happens for a reason, Nelia. You know, and I'll tell you, I had, because as a teacher, I was bullied too. You know, it was verbal and physical. So it's like, what are you going to do when this is all happening on in your life? And uh, there was definitely things I could do as a, as a being bullied. So I could, I could get into that as well, what people could do. Um, yeah, because I can definitely see why um, you want to eradicate bullying. Mm -hmm. I can also see why you became a bully. Yes. Um, it's funny, you know, sometimes we become the thing that we, that we despise because we feel it's safer sometimes. Would you agree with that? Yes, you have to. You have to be the tough kid on the block all of a sudden yeah. to basically protect yourself. To protect yourself, so you don't have any more harm come your way. Yes. Yeah, and I hate. You know, I really despise when people um, say that bullies are bad kids because um, they're not. There are kids who are having trouble. There are kids who there's something going on. And they need people to help them. And they need, you know, I'm not giving excuses for anybody hurting anybody, but there are reasons. Um, you know, you, you're not just born, you know, like that. You're either taught or you're trying to defend yourself. And, you know, and it doesn't give them the right to do it. But I think we need to help both sides. You know, I really, really do. And, um, it breaks my heart that kids are getting bullied, but it also breaks my heart that we kind of just put the problem under the rug. You know, a lot of schools say that they're, that they are um, taking care of, you know, bullying, but they're not. They're, they're, I don't think that there's enough things in place. Um, I know several friends of mine who kids are bullied and my son when he was younger um, and it's scary. It's scary because it changes their identity. It changes how they feel about themselves. It changes how they act in the world. It, it creates hate where there was no hate. And they all want the same things in the end, right? So, yes. So what can you do? What, what, what kind of strategies can you do if you're being bullying? Bullying. Well, we, we live in a sensitive, sensitive world, even though we're dealing with so much confusion, hurt and frustration and anger. We're a very sensitive society now as human beings. Yes. So un 
uncomfortable has to be comfortable. And what I mean by that is we have a lot of secrets behind closed doors. We have to shed light on people to bring awareness that in that household, they probably have as much issues as our household. They just keep it behind locked doors and they keep it private. Now that we have virtual stages, people getting on and telling their stories, I think those days of being so guarded and protected to, to save all the secrets in your household, mm -hmm. we, yeah. need to, we need to shed light on them and, and to basically get rid of the darkness because there's a lot of people behind those closed doors that are abusing kids physically, verbally, or both day in and day out. And especially, you know, my heart is in the city from the beginning because I started teaching city kids. And before I had my own child, they were my family. They were my kids. That's who I loved dearly. And I, I started looking at those kids as, but you know what though too, Nelia? We were programmed as teachers not to smile till June. <laughs> you know, that you know, think about that though. I'm laughing because it sounds so true. Yeah. You know, I remember one of our high schools, we literally stood on the curb on June, waved at the buses, and finally could smile to the kids. Oh, wow. so I believe that colleges and universities are a big part of the problem right now hmm. because they're not educating teachers. You know, they're, they're all cookie cutter, hmm. cookie cutting. What, you know what I'm saying? You can yes. do the suburbs and rural just fine in rose and dandy. But the thing about it is when you're in the city, we're not grooming our teachers to be ready to teach in this inner city. Hmm. And those kids need smiles. They need love oh, yeah. and caring more than anybody else you know ideally you get it all at home unfortunately our kids in the city may first have their first someone that cares for them when they go to school in preschool three and four sadly i can see that so being true and our parents do the best they can at the same time there's so much stacked up against our city parents and that's what sets me apart from any other hobbyist or someone in business is that I don't blame the parents. I don't blame the money that's given to the school. I blame it on the schools themselves, mm. the public schools themselves, because for every problem, there is a solution. And you could go to any barbershop in the community. You could go to any store in the city they're talking about how awful it is for them. Mm. They're talking about all the problems. Well, if there's a problem for every solution, let's talk solutions. Because a couple of years ago, we actually had a consultant for our district that spent the whole year uncovering all the problems. Hmm. I could have told you what the problems were. Yes. A couple of years ago, he was doing it. So he was at a three hour in front of all the TV cameras uh, panel. And I said, I stood up in front of the cameras. I said, for every problem that you've found this year, I have a solution to each one of the problems. So now what we need to do is follow you, your consultant work with my consultant work to make the district heal itself. The TV cameras didn't even, they showed me on TV, but it didn't have me speak. They hmm. cut it all out. So 
I think we're sitting on the winning formula, the win, the golden ticket, if you will, from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's just the people in power. Now that's yes. church, that's politics, and that's really the school districts and corporations. We shake things up. <laughs> we, we need to shake things up, and you know we need we need to break down the walls. We really do between those entities. You know, I think I said on, on one of another show was, if you look at church as being your spiritual part of you, if you look at uh, the, the lawmaker as your conscious, and then what's the third entity? Help me out. So you got the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in Christianity, right? So you have spirituality being the church, the politics being the governance of your conscious mind. And then the third part of it would be business. We got to all be together sharing best practices to raise healthy children. We can't be like, oh, we're going to have a certain part of the segment of the population that we need to not do well to do all the menial jobs in the world when people are refusing to do these jobs now. Mm. You know, and if you look at our history here in our country with the New Deal with Franklin Delano Roosevelt, which helped us out in the Great Depression in the 19, you know, we had the rolling 20s and then the Great Depression. FDR came up with the New Deal, which helped people get money from being on welfare. But the idea would, would be that they would finally get off the welfare, have jobs and do well for themselves. But well, one of the problems that we have in the community is that you literally get paid more money mm. on welfare or on disability than you do working. They don't there's no, yeah. there's no incentive to work. Exactly. And when you're having children and they see, hey, mom's doing it or dad's doing it or they're both doing it, it makes it, it, makes it difficult for the new generation to say, you know what? I'm going to go to school. I'm going to be the first to graduate from my household. I'm going to college. I'm going to better my chances of survival, not going to institutions and to eventually graduate from college and get a better paying job. So. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't matter what you say, show them, right? Show them with your actions and there's so many things in what you said, like even going back um, a few minutes when you were talking about all the virtual and, you know, your home needs to be a safe place for your kids, but quite often it's not. So school's the second, you know, kids are in school longer than they are anywhere else. And when the school system is broken, um, you know, just thinking about when you, when you said the, the teachers are taught to smile at the end of the class. Can you imagine going back in time and just, you know, when I was in grade school, the school that I went to, I found that the teachers, yes, they were very um, structured, but they did smile at us. And they did, you know, back in the day, like I'm, I'm aging myself, but I'll be 50 right next year. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine that child, especially now, um, going to school and just needing that smile. Like I remember you telling me stories of how you would interact with them. Um, and the difference, if you can feel like you have love or somebody who honestly gives a crap about whether you live or die or gives, you know, gives a crap about whether you've eaten that day, it can really 
it can change so much. It can change so much. So many kids go to school hungry. So many kids um, go to school with shame. And when they, when they meet a teacher like you, because I know some of the work that you're doing, when they meet a teacher like you, who, who cares more than just teaching the subject, who cares about teaching um, that you care about them and how to interact with one another, that's what the world needs more of. So thank you, Peter, for, you know, for doing that, because I know based on some of the stories that you shared with me in that last episode as well, some of the examples you gave me and how you reached out to those children. And I'm so happy that you are teaching that to other people. It's so important. And, and we forget, we forget about the kids sometimes. Well, I had a powerful meeting this past week with the central office here in Rochester City School District. Mm -hmm. And it went very well. Good. And I actually, I'd like to put this out here now. I actually told them that I could reduce suspensions in school and out of school by 50% or more in three months or they don't pay me. What we would do is look at the results from the year before to now the current year. If I can't beat it by 50% or more, nothing, absolutely nothing. Because here's the thing, Nelia, I have to be able to establish myself in one of these schools because everything's data-driven. Data-driven this, data-driven that. Instead of using what may work, they go with all this data. Well, the data is not showing up well for these kids when they're going into institutions like jails and detention centers and institutions like mental institutions and stuff like that. So, um, so what is your what what? How do you think you can do that? Cut the suspensions. Like, right. what is your what is your idea? Well, they. Do you have restorative practices in Ontario, Canada? Okay, we have restorative practices, which is a cool thing, but it doesn't deter people from the bad behavior. So what I would do is implement a very nice consequential plan that gets the kids to get in alignment with the school's vision. And what you can do is have the parents involved with a contract before school starts oh, okay. and say, we'd like you to sign a contract that the kids are going to school to learn, to get their lessons and behave. It could be a small tweak like that, mm. or it could be, you know, it, we had a, a movie here called Lean on Me with Joe Clark, the principal. What he did is he was in a tough inner city and what he did is he cleared out all the tough kids, the drug dealers and all the bad kids. In my system of doing things, we can keep everybody there and embrace everybody and love everybody there. So what we do is we, yeah, it's pretty cool. What we do is we have a consequential, consequential plan that is basically I'll train the teachers, the staff, the administrators on how to be a coach and how to coach our kids. So basically treat our kids like clients, treat them like customers, treat them like better than you would treat your own kids based on what you're learning from the trainings I'm going to give them. You know, acknowledge and validating kids, helping them reframe things when things aren't going well in their day. Mm. An in-school suspension room is still something we still need in the beginning, especially. We're talking about having a kid go to a room and seeing me instead of someone saying, why are you here? 
would you do? You know, another person grilling this person. Instead, give them life space crisis intervention where you say, welcome. I'm glad you're here and you're in a safe place now. Let's have you sit down and when you're ready, let me know and we'll talk about uh, what the next step is. I love that. And I remember one of your examples, if you don't mind me just uh, for a second, mm -hmm. but kids would get in trouble running down the halls. And instead of scolding them, you would say, thank you so much for running into the classroom and being excited to be here. And the way you would switch that was amazing to me because such a small thing can really make somebody feel cared for and, and seen. You know, a lot of kids feel invisible. So, and a lot of adults feel invisible, but those kids grow up to be adults, right? And I'm sure that you're so passionate about this and this is your, you know, your, your passion and what, you, what you're carrying on with your life because this would have made a difference for you as a child. Absolutely, absolutely. I love kids, you know, I love all humanity and I wanna inspire transformation through love in service to this humanity. And one way is the passion test and the other way is the mastery of self-love. So I would love in an eight hour day, I'm only trained to do high school students when it comes to the passion test, master of self-love, I'd be tickled to teach any kid that any age for that. But we also have passion test facilitators that do younger kids as well. I'm just not trained in that. Right. But I also, I'm trained as a teacher to teach K through 12. So I know how to break it down very, you know, very digestible. So these kids can, can learn that, hmm, I can love myself, you know? It doesn't matter what people think of me at this point of the game. At the end of the day, when I look at the mirror or when I wake up in the mirror, I look at myself in the mirror and I say, you know what? You're handsome. <laughs> You're going to have a great day. You know, use those affirmations. I am a miracle. I am loving. I am enough. You know, and then the thing is, once they buy into that, I love they're going to be so rock stars. And not only shouldn't you care about what other people think and love yourself, but when you start to do that, people will change their minds about you. Yes. And they may follow you. Like nothing is more contagious than a smile. Than you know, like, I don't know how many times I sit in a car and I try this and sometimes I just laugh about it, but my son will be in the back and I'm like, okay, so we're going to be at the light, right? So let's look at the car next to us and just give like a really big smile. And he's like, but mom, that person looks miserable. I'm like, okay, let's just try it. Right. So we'll turn and we'll do that. And then they're like, smile back. And he's like, but we don't even know them. And I'm like, I know, but see how it works. Yeah. Smile. The person next to you smiles. I'm like, okay, so the next car, let's try, let's try something different. I said the next light, let's be really grumpy and look out the window, you know, and see what happens. And somebody who's just neutral, you know, will become grumpy, right? So these are all things like, honestly, it's like a magnet. Yes. I think we, I think we need that. We need to show that more and more and more. So by doing the contract, like, okay, so let's go back for a minute. So I was asking about how you can, you know, get rid of the 50% suspension, right? So the first thing you're saying is to do the contract. So that everybody yes. agrees, knows what's expected. Okay. Yep. Have one or both the parents and guardians come to the auditorium with their children. 
to at that night will be a, basically a contract signing night. Okay. Where we're going to show that we're going to have a community that we're going to embrace each other and really care about each other. You know, we, it's like this. Can we say love in school? Can we say we love you? I mean, is it wrong to say we love your kids? I mean, you hope they hear enough of it at home. And if it's not, or it is, let's reinforce that at school and say, we love your kids too. Mm. And we're going to embrace them and love them. You know, it's funny. One of the schools that I taught at was the orphanage. I don't know if I shared this particular story. What happened was they did a reverse experiment on the teachers. The kids did now. Oh. And what they did is they went up to the teachers and started killing them with kindness. Hmm. And they found that the teachers started being nice after a short period of time with them. All they had to do, and the principal set this up, by the way. The principal right. goes, this is what Good we're going to uh-huh. Pardon? Yeah. Good on the principal. Yeah. So it was a great thing that the principal did. The teachers did well. The kids were golden in the class. You know, that's what I had. I had that going on. You know, for instance, when I taught, it was understood that you were great for Mr. Birkin. Mm. But then a moment later, you go to another teacher. That's not the way it is. You're good for Mr. Birkin. You're good for Miss Hutt, too. And that's the bottom line. You don't treat one differently than the other. Now, that goes into this. (laughs) This is a big point, too. Since we're all human beings, I could teach an African-American as good as a Latin American easily. I know I can. If we didn't judge people by the color of their skin, creed, religion, or any of these things, and we just said, you know what? We're all human beings doing this religion, you know, this, 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 we're all human beings doing this. Mm. How does it go? Help me now. I I know this will be cut out, but we're human beings doing this, being a spiritual being doing a- Yeah. I love that, you know, because these differences, these creeds, these religions, these differences make us interesting. They don't make us different. You know, they just, oh, it's like, we're all just one. Like we were talking before we we hit record and, you know, we're just one species, you know, we're human beings. We all bleed red. We, you know, it's just, it's remarkable the things that I hear more and more people in our generation trying all these ways to make changes. And I'm so happy to see the new, the new kids that are coming in, you know, like I know in my area anyway, that's what I can speak of. They're so much more open until they're told not to be. We don't, we're not brought into this world with hate. We learn that. Yes. We learn that for ourselves, you know, we learn that towards other people. Like you had mentioned self-bullying. I had never actually thought that was a thing before. Can you tell me a little bit about self-bullying? Yes, self-bullying, I'll use a quote. If we treated our friends like we treated ourselves, Mm. we'd go to jail. We would go to jail. So self-bullying is when you look at that mirror and you really can't even look yourself in the eye. Mm. You want to do whatever it takes to harm yourself. You might pick up smoking or drinking, 
or drugging because your parents, you're trying to get attention from your parents. Mm. So the first thing you do is you say, you know what, how can I get their attention? Well, I'm going to start smoking cigarettes or vaping mm -hmm. and all these things that can literally cause disease right out, right out of the, I started smoking only be, because my mom and dad smoked. So I was nine years old smoking cigarettes, doing my paper out. Now we know that it's, it brings harm to people can mm -hmm. cause cancer and everything else. So our kids are making better choices that way, aren't they? Mm -hmm. But then again, when you don't give them the love and attention, they do. What they do is they start bullying them. They bully yeah. themselves by putting chemicals into their bodies. Mm. They say, I'll get my parents, but they're really getting themselves and hurting themselves. So, Yeah, because they can be in control of something. Yes, and that's why we have teen pregnancy in our country, in the United States. They can love their own baby. And yeah, it's sometimes, a need. Everybody has a need, right? To be able to have someone to look after and and um, to find that love, no matter no matter how, we all have that need. You know, we're not humans. Are not um, we're not created to be like now with this pandemic. Humans are not created to be antisocial. We're not created to be, you know, all these things that like just put in a box and not and not love one another and be able to hug. You know, people ask me, what's the first thing you wanna do when the lockdown's over? I just wanna hug someone, you know? I wanna feel close to somebody. It's so isolating and kids want that too, you know? And it breaks my heart because especially with the virtual, you don't know what kids are going through at home. And, you know, there are many great homes. So, but it's the ones that aren't, aren't safe places for kids that we need to worry about, right? So awareness, awareness, awareness is so important. So important. I think there's so many families. There's not, that's, there's not a family out there that doesn't have a bit of a struggle. Yes. You know, and if we only would have a community event like they do in South Park, for instance, where they're all getting huddled together, well, why, why can't we have things like that and talk about what works in your family really well that your kid's such a great kid? Or, or Peter, what, what's in your household? You know, for instance, we used to go Mr. Birkin and Miss Hutt, Mrs. Hutt. We don't do that anymore. So we need to do all the best practices over the decades that we've seen great things happen, just like we do in teaching just like we do in business, let's do best practices around being a parent. Because for some reason, schools do not teach parenting in public schools. And I know why they don't, because I remember I was in a parenting class with the orphanages program. It was, uh, I took a parenting class. I remember one of the men said to me, I will not let Whitey teach my kids about how to be a parent. And I said, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> What do you say to that? Other than what we need to do is take all the different persuasions, you know, draw out all the religions, draw out all the colors and say, there's got to be best practices that we can all agree upon. That's universal. That says, you know what? We're going to do A through Z to raise a healthy child and get away with, and get and throw away all the things that don't work. Mm. You know, we know by a 50 year study or more, it's over 50 years now, 
that spanking and hitting causes trauma, causes trauma. My mom and dad didn't know what like that. They didn't know cigarettes would kill you. They didn't know that drinking was. Mm -hmm. But when you know better, you do better, right? Yeah, because I remember, yeah, exactly. I remember drinking when I was a little kid. I'd go into each room and ask to have a hit of beer. Yes. yes. Or vodka. You know, I'd I just remember, can I taste that? Can I I I acquired a beer taste when I was like two and a half. I remember getting drunk at six years old. My brother was four and a half. They put a draft right in front of us because we had a keg on tap in our cottage in the mountains. So we just downed it down. I went upstairs with my mom. She she reads to us at night, my brother and I. I felt I slipped out of her hand, just fell down the steps. I was drunk at six years old. My brother, holy cow, I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> so my, my brother and I, we would run back to the cabin. We had a nine-bedroom cottage. We'd run back to the cabin. We'd go, do we want water or do we want beer? And, you know, when you do a tap hit to quench your thirst, that beer tastes real good, even when you're eight or nine years old. <laughs> it's like, what? what what yeah and then, you know it's funny i was on a local radio station about that they're like when did you start drinking i was like well when i could talk <laughs> when i could ask for a head of beer they're like are you a drunk are you an alcoholic i go no i'm not I'm a teacher <laughs> yeah it's it's the limits and it's the respect and it's the boundaries and you know but i think we have to stop looking at our kids like do it because I say so. I like to give my child an explanation. And you know what? Sometimes he will, because he's very smart, sometimes he will come back with a, how do I say this? With a, um, a different option that will actually be better than my option. Yes. You know, and that's okay. I'm not going to pretend, oh, I don't want to look silly or I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just going to, you know, we have to listen to all sides, honestly. Like I say to my students before my son was born, I didn't know it like this, but I do know now. Hmm. They are our teachers as much as we are their teachers. And we are their students as much as they're our students. So it's a reciprocal relationship, even with your kids. But when you can empower your students and say, you know what, kids, there are no bad questions. No questions are silly. See, when I taught, now I was a dictator in the beginning. Wow. I was literally a dictator. And we did corporate punishment. So I was nasty to the kids. I would actually hurt the kids to keep them in line. That's how I remember the United Kingdom came to my school back in 1995. Mm -hmm. they, they came to my long-term suspended school. We had 15 self-contained kids, no breakfast, no lunch. They had to get there on time by themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And there was, they had to do their work and they couldn't be a discipline problem mm. because guess who recommended them back to school? I did. And if they didn't, if they weren't there on time doing their work and behaving, I wouldn't let them go back to school. Mm -hmm. You know how many kids I couldn't recommend back to school? None. 
all the kids thrived. And we had 150 long-term suspended kids. We had a baton to check them for weapons. Hmm. We had one half-time century. The school went with the kids from 8 to 12. 8 to 12. I would have the United Kingdom come to the school, into my classroom to see what I had going on. That's hmm. how pretty cool it was. It was pretty cool. So that would be part of my consequential plan, would be that you would have a very great run in school suspension room, lunch detention, after school detention and Saturday school. Just especially in the beginning to make sure we could stop the bad behavior. We have to break the trend on the habits. We have to break yes. and interrupt the pattern on the, on the bad habits. And then from there you have home hospital teachers. So what happens is if there's not room in the in-school, the long-term suspended school, then they get put on a list to be taught at home or in a community. Okay. So we have to deter the bad behavior by giving them a consequence so we can interrupt the way they're thinking. And we got to correct the way they're thinking. Because when I taught in jail, for instance, we had a thing called tape scores, which was the assessment to see what grade level they were at. Okay. If they were less than fourth grade, they went into pre-GED. And then fourth grade or above, they would come into our class. I had a co-teacher. In less than six weeks, Nelia, we got everybody to pass the GED, the high school equivalency in six weeks. Wow, that's incredible. Now, mind you, it was pretty incredible. There was actually 17 students. One was, one was in there. It was his father actually worked for the district and he was in there. And, you know, he, he did a little bit of trouble, right? He was my best student, smartest, brightest kid, missed it by one point. Oh. And then another kid was in solitary confinement half the time. Didn't, we didn't know his, really his name, but he passed all her pre-tests before you actually took the exam. We took math and reduced it down to three worksheets, hmm. one page worksheets, arithmetic, algebra, and geometry. If you could get a 90% or better on those three dittos worksheets, you'd be eligible to take the test. Now, you also had to be able to write a paragraph. You know, you'd have to capitalize grammar, yeah, spell a little bit, and put in punctuation. Mm -hmm. Those are the requirements in less than six weeks. And then they became eligible to take. We found out that anyone that was at the fourth grade level or more, we could teach them in those six weeks to pass that exam. Now, mind you, I didn't teach Saturday school, but my colleague would go there all day Saturday. And you know what we taught most of the class? Guess what subject it was? Mathematics. <laughs> we taught math for hours a day with those, those guys and gals. And there's the data for you, the correct data, you know, you're, like collect the data with the right things in mind, right. you know, because there's the proof, right? There's the proof, right. And then the long-term suspended school, could you imagine 150 long-term suspended kids and most every day, all the kids were there? I had perfect attendance. Mm. That's, a, and, that's incredible, incredible. Yeah. 
And I'd like to see that data because it was well over 90% attendance to a long-term suspended school. That's huge. You know what the district does now is they say the kid in September, you have to stay at this school until April. They don't have to go. <laughs> Obviously they don't do the work because they're not there. Mm. And then they go back in April and they miss all this education. So the, the big key is how do you do this and bring more money in the district? That's a good question, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> so ask me the question. We'll, we'll, we'll cut it in there. Go give me that question out and I'll fire out the answer. Okay. I've forgotten the question. How do you, <laughs> how do you save the money? How do you actually make the money in the district so you can have more staff and reduce security and police officers in the school? Oh my gosh. <laughs> or, I don't know I if mean, I can remember that. <laughs> well, the question would be, what, what can you do to, to help in your bully-proof plan in school? What can you do to help generate more income for the school district. Okay, so Peter, I have a question for you. What can you do to help generate more money in the city school system? That's a great question. What you do is you bully-proof the school so the kids in the community say, oh, it's safe there now. And they choose to go to school because they know school is safe. It's a place of learning. It's a place where they're not going to get hurt mm. and, and told they're not good enough. And they're going to come to school. Safe. It's, it's going to be their safe place. It's going to be their safe place. And the thing about it is the more kids show up, the more you get state and federal aid for every student that shows up and the more money you'll generate in the school. Now, the Amen. only thing that shifts is you have to hire more teachers and support staff. And at the time, in a little bit, you're gonna have to get rid of all the security officers and you probably won't need the police in the school anymore because the kids will police themselves. The teachers will be in charge now and you won't need all, so you'll shift the income from all the harsh security and police, you know. Mm -hmm to more teachers. Wouldn't we want more teachers oh, in a school? What a, what a whole new world that would be. What a whole new world that would be. Right. And you know, these kids would grow up and be respectful because you respect them. You're giving them a whole new life. You're teaching them these fundamental things. And in turn, they respect you. They grow up to be you know, different members of society. They grow up to, you know, there's less crime, there's everything because they don't have to prove themselves anymore. When you feel loved, it's, it's so different than when you feel unloved, when you feel unseen, when you feel invisible. So that plan sounds so great. You know, it really does. And I don't know why everybody's just not hopping on board, you know, honestly. Right. So the consequential plan. See, everybody thinks that we have a thing called restorative practices in the United States, which is when a kid gets wrong, first of all, they always blame it's a minority kid getting in trouble. They're getting suspended at an alarming rate compared to the Caucasian kids, the white kids, you know? So 
let's put the color aside. Let's put everything aside and just say, you've done this. This is your consequence. And as a principal, I'm not judging any book by a cover or a kid by a skin color. I'm basically saying, okay, Susie, <laughs> I've seen you for a third time now, Susie. <laughs> it's the same teacher you're harassing each and every day, Susie. You've been in school suspension already three times, three strikes you're out. So now you got out of school suspension for one to three days. So Susie's now gonna be taken out of school. And the kids don't wanna miss school. They like, they're very social. They wanna be at school around their friends and nobody wants to be displaced. And Cause I'll tell you, when I ran my highly successful in-school suspension room, I would have kids go down the hall. I don't wanna go down there. <laughs> because they, the expectations was they came in, they did not tell anybody why they were there. So there was no, why are you here? Why are you here? No, <laughs> sit down. I have a file cabinet with all the work from all the teachers for the week. So if it's Monday, I go to Miss Smith's folder for Monday mathematics. I go, this is your math from Miss Smith. Miss Jacobs has this for English. And I just keep piling the work on their desk. <laughs> and then they're like, mister, does this get graded? And the answer is everything gets graded. And guess who grades it? <laughs> Not me, I didn't, they didn't have the troubles with me. The regular teachers are gonna have to deal with this. And you know, here, here's another thing too. We used to do things called clusters. So we would have cluster A, you know, it would be a person's name. It would be, let's see, Smith Smith Block or, you know, or ambassador you know they used to call it they get cute with everything you know okay. what i mean Nelia? <laughs> yes so basically we had the academy her name was can 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 i say that <laughs> it was the can cam academy so we had to have all the core teachers have weekly meetings so we had 150 students basically 30 per five classes 30 150 kids so whenever a kid in our cluster or our academy got in trouble, we all are sad, you know? Oh, yeah. why, why did it, you know? Why did they not work out in your room, but they were doing so well for us? And you can really get to the social emotional yeah. things on these kids going, man, you know what? It's because of the end of the day. He kind of falls off at the end of the day versus saying he's a rotten kid by the time he comes to my room. Mm. like what well, or how about how about this one a teacher will say i september now this is september i got the worst classes in the world i'm gonna be suffering all year long it's like <laughs> <laughs> that does not help <laughs> that doesn't help you know no. I, did i share the story where there was 150 staff members and I was at one of the inner city schools at Jeff Thomas Jefferson High School in Rochester. I don't, I don't know if I should. think so. I don't think so. I might have, but it's a good one to repeat. Um, Once you start telling me, I'll remember. <laughs> you might be because it was the one around, if we could affect one kid, I've done my job. Mm. I think I might've said that one already. Am I here again though? Yeah, absolutely. Come on. I, I love this conversation. So what happened was, a teacher goes in front of the whole 
auditorium of teachers is actually in a cafeteria with no backrest or anything. There's 150 staff members. And she goes, if I could just reach one kid, I've done my job. So I'm like, oh. Now, mind you, this was in 2003. My son was just born, okay? I stood up. This time, I just stood up in front of the whole cafeteria. I go, excuse me. Now, I'm a new teacher. I'm not tenured or anything. I said, excuse me. But if I can only save one kid, I'm not doing my job if I'm only doing one kid. I have 150 students. If one kid gets hurt, if one kid goes to jail or dies, I'm going to be hurt. I'm going to be wiped out. I'm going to be sad. And I said to her, if you or anyone else, because you have to change the paradigms here. You got to change your belief system on this. I said, if anyone thinks they're only in the business to save one child, What's the there's problem? the exit to the cafeteria there. And over there, you need to leave the profession. I've, I've called everybody yeah, out. I haven't heard you say that before, but you know what? I'm so proud of you because... Yeah, if you're just there to, you know, to to do that for one per like what are you doing? Like what are you doing there? What these kids are going to be lost before you even meet them. Right. Well, we're brainwashed though. We're programmed. Mm. How many times have you heard the statement if I could even the most best speakers out there say if I could only say if I lose one kid, yeah. I'm sad. You know another thing teachers don't acknowledge? is when they graduate from high school. Could you imagine having those kids for four years and then they graduate on you and you don't have them anymore? It's gotta be a loss for sure. And they don't acknowledge that, Nellie, the loss we have year in and year out when your kids graduate from your classroom, graduate from the, the school, mm. the loss. And then on top of that, when our teachers have to watch the news because they think they have to watch the news our students are always the headlines to the news mm. i was lucky in that way where my teachers um were not exactly like that but it is the minority i think but my teachers did express um the loss you could tell they cared about you when you left which made all the difference in the world you know, and we need more of that for sure. But I just want to be careful that we don't say that everyone is like that. We definitely can't say everyone. No, because there are a lot of amazing teachers and there are amazing. a lot of great teachers. I just think that- Did the, I say everyone? No, yeah, I don't okay. no, and you wouldn't have, but I just wanted to be clear because, you know, um, there are a lot of people out there who care. It's just, we need everyone to care. You know, a lot of people are burnt out and we need, this is why it's so important to start when you're young, like you had said earlier in the episode. So you don't become that per person as an adult without passion, without love, with, without compassion. Because then what if you do become someone as a leader in your profession? You know, what are you going to do? You're already burnt out before you started. And then here we go with the cycle again, you know? And there was Jesuit priests have been saying, I think it's been about 400 years after Dr. Bruce Lipton talks about this quite a bit, that from 400 years ago, Jesuit priests have said, if I have a child from zero to seven, I will tell you the kind of adult they're going to turn out to be. Hmm. So they've known this in the churches and everything for all these years hmm. that 
this programming starts when they're young, the, the last trimester when the baby is about to be born, that's when programming starts to get downloaded into their brain. That's why they notice, like we said earlier, the voices when mom and dad talk to the, to the little one. And then from there, everything we say, do, gets downloaded into their brain. That's why yes. when I was raising my son, I was very careful who came around to my son. I guarded it. I truly guarded it. I, I just had this instinct to make sure that, just think of that uncle or that, that grandpa who says the most absurd things and you're just like, wow, did you just say that to my baby? <laughs> and it's like, wow. But at the same time, you can't shelter your children too much. They have to be able to kind of dodge things too, right? But depends yeah. on the age, I think. Let's wait till after seven, though. Yes, that's what I mean. It depends on the age. Oh, my God. Let's get them all programmed up because, yeah. you know, we've got the different frequencies in the brain. We're actually in the state of wavelength at, at that age mm -hmm. where hypnosis is the way we get programmed. And and the thing about it is um, there, Dr. Bruce Lipton is very good. He comes up, there's a, a number of ways that you can get rid of your limiting beliefs. They are, ready? Mm -hmm. Repetition. Mm -hmm. So if you want to go to the gym, you repeat it day in and day out or three to five days or seven days a week. You repeat it over and over again. It becomes a habit. Yes. Another one is hypnosis. You know, a lot of people be like, well, hypnosis, uh, it doesn't work. And they say, oh, stage hypnosis, it does work. It absolutely does work. I don't know if you know anything about it, but it does work. Okay. Um, then there's a thing called Psych K. Okay. And I haven't done, there's not a lot on YouTube. I've tried to research a lot of it, kind of. And it's P-S-Y-C-H-K. It's a modality out there that's kind of, I don't know how long it's even been out there. But Dr. Bruce Lipton says it's one way you do it. Okay. Tony Robbins and Bruce Lipton said there's another way. Shock in the nervous system. Hmm. Okay. You think about it when someone has like the worst kind of trauma happen. They can't let it go, right? So the only way to reverse that kind of trauma would be like NLP, hypnosis, you know, neuro-linguistic programming and hypnosis. Yes. So what you have to do is basically shock the system to have them negate that memory yeah so there are mm -hmm. go ahead it's gonna say i had an uh, an nlp expert on so it was quite interesting to learn a little bit more about that yeah yeah it's, it's powerful stuff and you know i think what we have to do and we, we've used the word best practices that concept a lot today and everything from far eastern medicine to western medicine to my great friends in canada like you nelia <laughs> We need to take what works well around the world. You know, it's, let's picture this. You know how I was, I had to teach, um, what do you call that? Evolution in school. Okay. <laughs> and I had to teach how we were one landmass at one time. And because of Pagean theory and continental drift, the earth started separating. So if you took the globe and all the masses of the planet, and connected it, we'd all connect into one landmass. So if that's the case, didn't we just walk everywhere back in the day? <laughs> so the people near the equator were darker skin. Mm -hmm. 
darker eyes for the sunlight. You didn't want to have blue eyes like this guy in Northern Europe, mm. who's from Ireland and English descent, because my eyes would have got scorched, right? And then the skin, because you worked outside or you hunted and gathered all day, your skin color was darker because the sun just beat on you all day. So the pigment of your skin made it where your pigments was darker. Hmm. So basically, you know, because one of the things is my why is to end self-bullying, bullying, suicide, mass shootings, genocide, terrorism, war, any unkind act, sex trafficking, the whole nine yards is going to go away when we can bully-proof ourselves. It'll go away. You know, I think of, I think of like the genocide of our Native Americans in this country, the United States. It is, it makes me so sad. I have, I have someone I live with that actually watches the Cowboys and Indians and I'm watching Indians get, mm. it's, it's just tragic what I have to see. Mm. You know, and we watch the news thinking it's okay to watch local and federal news seeing things that we didn't even see as a kid and our kids are being raised seeing this stuff. And it is horrifying. So, so what we can do is bully proof ourselves and we can do that by loving ourselves you know we had a song remember you're so vain yes you thought this song was about you <laughs> it's like what we're programmed on all these simple things yes. that we can't let go it's kind of like this one you like this one monkey see monkey do what's that mean to you Nelly? <laughs> I want to hear what it means to you. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny because I didn't let my son watch Curious George growing up. No. Because that monkey did something wrong every episode. <laughs> and then he had a guy with a yellow suit bail him out. Every and, time. And there was a life lesson by the end of the show. But for a five-year-old who's getting everything downloaded in his brain... Yes. He sees Curious George and goes, gosh, the monkey's doing it. Oh, monkey, see, monkey, do, I'll do it. It's like, do you see how that goes? Mm -hmm. So we gotta, we gotta be careful how we program our kids because everything, you know, money doesn't grow on tree. We talked about that one. You know, money is made of trees. It's, it's paper, it's made of trees, you know, and helping people reframe things. Remember we talked about the four A's, acknowledge and angle abolish an arsenal having the four a's to get over your limiting beliefs the key is just being aware that you have sometimes just the most silliest beliefs and as an adult you're like hmm, <laughs> question them yeah did that ever serve me ever <laughs> yes and if it Why? doesn't it serve you <laughs> yeah where did it let come it go from? i have a dear friend I, I know i told you about it the last episode who i talk to every day and I coach him and he coaches me right back. And he's written 10 books, written five movies. Well, he's in the Smithsonian Institute. Mm. The guy's no joke. Mm. Okay. He sold 25 books off the shelf at Barnes and Noble in one day. Mm -hmm. He's the most obscure author on the planet right now, easily. He had eight car crashes, Nelia. 
Oh my goodness. Eight car crashes and he's still alive. And you know what? Before I started coaching him, because he lets me talk freely about him, Larry, he didn't think he was even human before I started coaching him. He's bipolar three, if you know what that is. I don't actually, not with the three. Three is basically, he could be good right in the moment you talk to him and then he runs in front of a train the next minute. That's bipolar three. Now, if that's not a bad seed planted into his head by a doctor, I don't know what is now. Yes. These self-fulfilling prophecies, just because I have a white jacket on and I have a stethoscope around my neck doesn't make you the authority of my essence, my being. Absolutely. I remember you talking to me about Larry. Yeah. And then epigenetics above the genes. It's the environment that creates a good. Did you know what Bruce Lipton did years ago, probably 20, 30 years ago? He took stem cells in, in America, took stem cells and put them in different Petri dishes. And all he did was change the environment for those cells outside the body. Mm. He made skin cells, bone cells, mm. and whatever else, red cells, maybe. <laughs> he made all these different cells from the stem cell. Wow. From the environment. Remarkable. So now when you take two mm -hmm. mentally ill people, you would think it'd be more than 50%. Mm. Hogwash. Now, based on Dr. Bruce Lipton's, you know, what he knows and Dr. Joe Dispenza, people like that will tell you this, epigenetics is above the genes. Okay. Which means it's the environment that creates disease. Hmm. A lot of people say you have predisposition to cancer. You have predisposition to, you know, to all these hearts and diabetes. No. It's what you grow around, what yes. you experience, yeah. Your thoughts, the words you hear, the actions you take creates your environment. And no wonder, yeah, and no wonder if you're, if you're in a family with a lot of people who have mental health, it's not necessarily genetic, it's that you're all living in the same, you know what I mean? You're all yeah. living the same way, you're all, yeah. I, yeah. I completely believe that. And, and yeah. this way we're not, we're not, um, you know, if you're told, oh, you're going to have this problem, of course, you're going to have that problem. Like, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. So let me, I don't know if everyone listened to the other episodes, but they should, <laughs> I, I'm going to say the secret again, what I learned because you can tape this because this is my own personal story. So when I graduated, I didn't even, listen, Nellie, I didn't even graduate college. Okay. Mm. What happened was this. I was playing lacrosse for a national championship my senior year. I was running sprints and I couldn't run anymore. I went up to the coach. I said, coach, I can't run anymore. He goes, Burke. Go up on my couch and lay down. So I went on his couch, laid down. It wasn't until 2018 when I asked my coach what happened to me that day. Mm. 2008. This was in 1991 when it happened. This is what happened to me. He had to call the doctor on campus. 
they're like, you have to call an ambulance and take them to the hospital. They rushed me to the emergency department. I spent three months in the hospital. All they did was take blood to find out, what, to try to really keep me alive, really. My blood level was so at risk. They, they, they called it like this, that I almost died and I was such at risk that all they could do was stabilize me. Mm -hmm. And I got released after three months. I didn't see the light of day for three months because I was stressed out from school. Could you imagine that spending three months over that? So I get released. Luckily, they did give me my college degree, which was nice. <laughs> I, I was looking to get out of my exams, but I didn't mean to go three months into a hospital. Okay, I, I got out of the exams. So they give me my degree and my sister's like, hey, Peter. Oh, first of all, I get released to my mom. Thank God I didn't have to go to a halfway house because those are awful. Hmm. At least they were for me in 1989 when I had to go to a halfway house after the first house position. It bled into 90. 89, 90, I spent my first three months in the hospital. Anyway, I digress. So my sister goes like this. And I'm living with my mom. She's making square meals, which was nice, right? Home-cooked meals. Uh -huh. And then we were on the couch watching TV all day long with M&Ms and bonbons. So after one day of that, Nelly, I said to my mom, Mom, the hospital said I could start day treatment when I got out of the institution. I want to start it tomorrow. <laughs> I did that with one day with my mom and I knew I, this. Yes. I needed structure. I needed structure. So what I did is I started up day treatment that next day. My sister says, Peter, why don't you coach football? And you know what I found out? And you just come up with these realizations all the time. There was three African-American coaches. One was Roster Police Department. Was, one was a fireman. And one was like a head security of Rochester schools. I was so intimidated because I was scared. I was scared of basically black people back when I was raised. I was scared. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. Mm. I approached those men and I go, may I please coach with you gentlemen? I just graduated from college. I didn't tell them I was out of an institution and everything. You know? <laughs> Yes. So they're like, we'd love to have you coach. So I coached those young men, those seventh and eighth grade boys. I actually called defense, the defensive things. This has meant blitz, double blitz, where the linebackers just go running in. <laughs> and the thing about it is that structure, living back with my mom who said, you know what, Peter, there's nothing wrong with you. Hmm. I believed her over the doctor's. And then I learned and growed, learned and grew every day. Learned and growed, right? Learned and grew every day. <laughs> yes. And that was with therapists and group sessions. But what I did, denied myself of years of doing, Nelia, was I didn't want to study chemistry anymore. So I said to myself, I'll never look at a college textbook again. Mm. But I do self-help now. And I read as many books as I can. You know, I read as many books as I can. Here's one right here. You are enough. Mm. Do you know, do you know this author? 
as soon as I bought this book, he gave me like $800 of his trainings for free. That's amazing. But then what he also did was he's had guided meditation at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time during this whole COVID for free. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? That's beautiful. Isn't that amazing? It's you are enough revealing the soul to discover your power, potential, and possibility. That That sounds amazing. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to finish reading and send you this copy. Aww. (laughs) But I want you to keep it for yourself. Well, you know. Yeah, that's. I love having you having me on here. Aww, that's so sweet of you. I'd love to read that book. You are enough. I wanted to ask you. You said that you had a um you have a values and beliefs document that you would like to share with the audience can you tell me a little bit about that yes it does an inventory of all the values words all the words that have you know for instance a passionate uh, teacher teaching uh, all the words that would be of value are on the list so there's probably over a hundred values okay it's a value assessment and what you do is you keep boiling it down until you get down to your top five. Yes, this is the exercise you had me do. It's phenomenal. It's kind of like doing it with the passion test though, but this is with just your values. Okay, thank you. And then what you do is you also walk through and and you work out an inventory on your beliefs as well. So it's a beliefs and uh, values and beliefs worksheet. And it's three, I think it's three pages long. And I'd like to offer that to anyone listening to the podcast today. Yeah. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, if somebody wants to connect with you, um, what is the best way to find you? I know that you have uh, message to billions.com. Message to billions.com is where you'll find my book. That's a landing page. Okay. And you can find me at my email at pburkin at gmail.com. And that's P as in Peter Birkin, B-U-R-K-I-N at gmail.com. And I'll put it all in, in the show notes anyways. Is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you, you feel that you'd like to add? I love that question. I know There's we can talk always, forever. <laughs> we could. We're, you're the best. I, you know, I just love you so much. And, uh, oh, that's sweet. And I, and I totally love what you do. I really do. I'm just, so sweet. you know, I, I, one of your emails says you're like, are you ranked like ninth in Canada right now in podcasting? I ranked 19. 19. Yeah. Good. But um, yeah, it's funny. I Last week it was 600 and something in Lithuania. I don't know anybody in Lithuania, but it's That's getting nice. Lithuania, which is great. Yeah, you I'm know, really it's excited. Funny. My 11th grade teacher was from Lithuania. So Jan, Janet, <laughs> Janice, Lit, her name was uh, Mrs. Litfinis from Lithuania. <laughs> she might have got wind of it. <laughs> that's funny so, so is there anything you wanted to mention yeah yes so i think it was tony robbins says the people that are most brilliant people in the world are the ones that can ask the best kind of open-ended questions mm. because we have the answers within us each and every one of us have it within us and because of the technology if you don't have it in the moment, you can Google it, or you can find it in an email or in a conversation, but you will find the answer. So I would recommend people that's listening right now to maybe ask three empowering questions before you go to bed 
mm. at night and your brain will, your subconscious mind, which never shuts down, is on 24 seven, will come up with the answers. And I would recommend you write the answers down when you wake up so you don't forget them. Because there's a good that. chance they'll come up. I love yeah. that. And you know what? Record them, like document them, go back and read them like later on. This is an incredible yeah. idea. Thank you. Yeah. Peter, 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 what can I say about you? Um, you have taught me so much. You have sparked this passion in me to um, do and learn, you know, actively do some of the things that you've been teaching today. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. And thank you for not giving up on this dream of yours. I really do feel that it's attainable. And I think kids are lucky to have you. So thank you so much. It was an honor to have you on the show. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I enjoyed myself, Melanie. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe or leave a review. See you next week on the Giving Starts With You podcast.